0: I know words, I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me. Which is why I alone can fix it Hello, hello. What's up everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. And I am still, to this day, it is now Thursday, January 30th, 2020. Still don't have my shelf. I'm still waiting. For those of you who listened to my last episode, it was supposed to be delivered over a week ago. And the government mail service, the United States Postal Service, screwed up the delivery. And I got it sorted out, so they were supposed to re-deliver on Monday. Monday came and went, there was no shelf. Tuesday came and went, there was no shelf. So Tuesday night I got on the horn again to figure out what the hell was going on. And surprise, surprise, they lost it. They lost the shelf. (laughs) so (laughs) Um, A government can't really do anything right, can they? I'm sure it's somewhere with the $2 trillion that's still missing from the Pentagon or the hundreds of billions of dollars and pallets of money that went over to Iraq and Afghanistan and mysteriously disappeared. You know, these things happen when you're the government. You just lose gigantic things. I mean, this is a... A six foot, almost a six foot high, tall shelf. It's uh, going to be a couple feet wide. It's got five different shelves on it. You know, I eh, just, I don't know. Oops, it's gone. <laughs> so uh, it's supposed to be delivered today. I had to cancel that order, reorder it, and we'll see. <laughs> I'm getting the same. It's still USPS that's delivering it. It's the same vendor. I couldn't communicate with the vendor uh, easily, so... Uh, Same situation holds, except it's a little later in the week, so I got a different doorman who's a little more competent, and he'll be here until 7.30. Package is supposed to come before 8 p.m., so we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed on this one. Maybe the government can get it right the second time. But anyways, welcome back, everybody. I got a good episode for you. I am in... Better spirits, I'd, I'd say, than my last episode. I hope you are all doing well. And I wanted to go over a couple of things from uh, a, a few episodes ago. The episode I was doing uh, where we took a sort of a deep dive into quantitative easing and the, the whole 2008 financial crisis and, and, and the Fed's role in all of that. Because I, I think it's a fairly complex subject for especially for a lot of people who are not familiar with um you know finance or economics things like that i got a little feedback on the episode and there was still some confusion around certain uh pretty mo- like pretty important terms you know um inflation was one of them and then the whole quantitative easing thing and maybe that was a failure on my part not doing good enough job explaining the issues in a, um, a more palatable way. So we're going to take another shot at this and just sort of look, uh, look at inflation one more time and, and just sort of elaborate on some of the topics I covered because it was a pretty long episode. I ran kind of long, and I, and I think maybe I, I rushed a few things. So inflation, for those of you who are not familiar with it, The literal definition of inflation, at least the original literal definition, is an expansion of the money supply. Okay, now if you were to look it up in a modern dictionary, in terms of economics, in a modern dictionary, you would see a definition that is not entirely accurate. I think that's by design. So I I just pulled it up, dictionary definition. And in economics, they refer to it as a general increase in prices and a fall in the purchasing value of money. Now, that is not the definition of inflation, okay? That can be the effect of inflation, okay? Inflation is an expansion of the money supply. That's why they call it inflation, okay? Think of uh, think of inflating a balloon you know you blow air into it and it expands right an expansion of the money supply is like that balloon expanding okay if it was just an increase in prices they wouldn't call it inflation because you wouldn't be inflating the money supply you'd be increasing prices they would call it incretion (laughs) as Peter Schiff famously said all right but uh, that's not what it is that can be the effect absolutely that can be the effect but inflation is an expansion of the money supply, and it's a function of two things, right? How many dollars are in circulation, all right? How many dollars are out there, the, the actual size of the money supply, and how quickly those dollars are changing hands throughout the economy, right? Because if I create a trillion dollars and I just shove it under my mattress, I have a really big bed, um, that's not going to have any effect on prices or, or the, the purchasing power of money because I just created it and I set it aside and it's not making its way through the economy, right? So the money has to change hands in order to have an effect on, on prices or the purchasing power of money. Now, what happens when you have more dollars in circulation Chasing the same amount of economic goods and services to buy. Well, prices adjust. Prices go up. Because now people have more dollars. But the same amount of goods, services. The same amount of resources with which to buy. It allows them to bid up the price of everything. And it takes time for the uh, prices to adjust. And for that to work its way around throughout the economy. Now... The reason that I say falling prices can be the effect of inflation is because maybe prices don't fall, but you still get an expansion of the money supply. Okay, And maybe prices were supposed to go down by 10%, and instead of going down 10%, they stay the same. Well, you still have inflation. You still have a decrease in your purchasing power, you just don't see it reflected in prices. This is one of the reasons why the Consumer Price Index, which is the way the government measures inflation, is such a bad way of measuring it. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you should just measure the, the actual money supply. I mean, they keep track of the money supply. But then you have to figure out how quickly those dollars are changing hands. And instead of doing that, they're just looking at prices. So they take a basket of goods... They pick like 15 goods at random and they, they check the prices of those goods from year to year, month to month, whatever, to figure out the rate of inflation. But you never know how that inflation is going to manifest itself. It could just stop prices from falling. The, the price could stay the same, but maybe you get a decrease in quality. You know, maybe you buy a desk one year and it's made of solid oak And the next year, the price is the same, but the desk is made out of particle board or some cheap wood made out of driftwood or something. So you're not getting the same quality, but the price is the same. But according to the CPI, there would be no inflation. Um, Airline tickets, another great example, right? If you look at pictures from people that flew in the 70s, flying was like an event, right? You got all dressed up. They were coming by with like a carving station, carving you up some uh, some roast beef or some ham and and treating you really well, giving you delicious food. Your seats were bigger. And now now maybe the the flights are the same price or they they could be even a little cheaper. But now you're crammed into steerage like a bunch of sardines. You're lucky if you get a bag of peanuts or pretzels. I can't do peanuts because of all these. Pansies with peanut allergies. So maybe you get a thing, a little thing of pretzels and, and a and a cup of a cup of juice or something, a cup of coffee. That's it. Everything else you gotta buy, you gotta pay for your luggage, you gotta pay to store this, you gotta pay for your seat assignment, you gotta pay to get on the plane earlier. I mean, they, they like uh, all of that stuff it, it eludes the CPI, eludes the measurement of inflation, because it doesn't always manifest itself in prices, okay? Now, the alternative to this is what we call deflation, which is, you know, a a contraction of the money supply, which can manifest itself in lower prices. And for some reason, deflation is the ultimate boogeyman for the Federal Reserve and all these Keynesian economists. They they seem to have this irrational fear where if... People realize that something is going to be cheaper a year from now, that they won't buy it today, that they'll just keep they'll that they'll never buy it. They'll just keep putting off the purchase because next year it'll be cheaper or next week it'll be cheaper. And and so they'll just never end up buying it, which is just absolutely ridiculous. And it's proven false every day. I mean, your cell phone is cheaper year after year. Your computer is cheaper year after year. Big screen TVs, everything is cheaper. All these electronics are cheaper, yet people are buying them. People are lining up to buy the new iPhone. Why? Why? Because people have a time preference. They want it now. They don't want a TV a year from now just because it's going to be a little cheaper. They want to enjoy that TV now. <laughs> it's like, and the idea that food, that, that somebody's not going to buy food, that they're just going to starve to death because food's going to be cheaper a year from now or six months from now is absolutely ridiculous. There are certain things that you want right now and you're going to buy them. And if they're cheaper six months from now, hey, that's awesome. Six months from now when I have to buy that thing, I'll save some money it's the most irrational fear of all time. I mean, we built the strongest economy the world had ever seen in a deflationary environment. You know how if when you talk to your grandparents if they're still alive or maybe when you were a kid and your grandparent you'd be eating like a candy bar or something and and they would say, you know, when I was a kid that candy bar used to cost a nickel. A nickel. And and now it's like a, a dollar fifty or or two I don't know what a candy bar costs anymore. But what they were talking about was how how much inflation has taken place during their lifetime. What what used to cost a nickel now costs a dollar fifty. So the the Federal Reserve has done a spectacular do- a job of of stable prices, right? Of preserving the value of the dollar. They've they've destroyed ninety-five percent of it. But your grandparents When they were kids, their parents or their grandparents or your great-great-grandparents or whatever it was, instead of talking about how expensive things have gotten, they'd be talking about how much cheaper things had gotten because of all the deflation, because the economic processes had become more efficient. They figured out a way to make that candy bar cheaper and more efficient through uh, the Industrial Revolution, you know, and it makes sense. The The more you do something, like if you go into business making candy bars, the first candy bar you make will be the most expensive. You have to figure out the whole process. You don't really know what you're doing. You're going to make mistakes. And and as time goes on, you get better at it. You get more efficient. So prices come down. So the, your great-great-great-grandparents would be telling your grandparents, Oh, when I was a kid, that candy bar used to cost $0.10, cents, and now it costs a nickel. And and somehow the Federal Reserve thinks that's a bad thing uh, when the price goes down by 50% over a couple generations. This is the, the thing that they're trying to fight now, a deflation. And the ironic thing is, is that in the 70s, when we had rampant inflation, and I think uh, inflation got up to four percent when they started uh, to institute wage and uh, wage and price controls, which was a complete disaster and that that's why people were waiting waiting in gas lines and you got like a number uh, or like a, that gave you the days of the week that you could buy gas, things like that because there were shortages because they were fixing the prices. but at four percent inflation, that was the, the whole whip inflation now campaign and the Federal Reserve jacked interest rates up to almost like 20% to, to, to combat that inflation. Well, now they want to combat deflation. They want more inflation and they want to fight deflation. Why? Why? Well, because inflation helps debtors, okay? And back in the, in the 70s, we might have still been, well, before 1971, before we went off the gold standard, we were the world's biggest creditor nation. We weren't the world's biggest debtor nation, which is what we are right now. We owed $23 trillion in, in bonded debt. That's what we actually owe at this moment. It's actually a little more than that. But we have hundreds of, of trillions of dollars of unfunded liabilities, all these promises that of future um, obligations. So we went from the world's biggest creditor nation having deflation in our prices to the world's biggest debtor nation. And once we became the debtor nation, all of a sudden now we want inflation. Well, that's because inflation helps people pay off their debt. Because the money you're paying it off with isn't as valuable as the money that you initially borrowed, right? So that that's one of the reasons why the Federal Reserve is targeting 2% inflation every year because we, we owe all this money. We want to pay it back with money that's not as valuable as the money we initially got. So the reason we were talking about inflation in relation to quantitative easing was because what quantitative easing is, as we went over on the last show, is basically the Fed stepping into the uh, stock market and the bond market, and they they call these open market operations, right? And they're buying, the original quantitative easing was the Fed buying 40 to $45 billion a month of mortgage-backed securities and treasury bonds, okay? And what they were doing was with a couple of keystrokes, the Federal Reserve would create that money. They would literally, like, each, each bank that you could think of, any bank that you could name, any big bank, they have an account at the Federal Reserve. Okay, J.P. Morgan, uh, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, they all have accounts at the Fed. And what the Fed would do is literally just go into their account and change the balance like okay now you have 40 45 billion dollars more in cash than you did before and the fed would take the securities from jp morgan and jp morgan would get that money and then jp morgan takes that money and they start circulating it throughout the economy now when i say economy in this case and one of the reasons why we're not seeing a lot of inflation effects in terms of increased prices is because J.P. Morgan doesn't just go out and start buying pizza and cars and, um, I, I don't know, going to the movies and things like that. No, no, they, they take that money and they invest it. They invest it into the stock market, into the bond market, right? So instead of the the second, remember, the, 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 the two functions of inflation are increase in the money supply, the amount of dollars in circulation, and how quickly those dollars change hands. Well, they're not going to the convenience store and buying a bunch of goods, and then the convenience store isn't taking that money and, and taking his wife out to dinner or anything like that. They're buying assets. They're buying real estate. They're buying stocks and bonds and things like that. So the, the money, instead of going into everyday item prices, its effect is increasing the prices of stocks, bonds, and real estate. Okay, because that's where all that money that was created out of thin air by the Federal Reserve for quantitative easing easing purposes. That's where it's all going. It's going into the stock market. And that's why you see the stock market at all time highs, despite uh, what was it? Forty percent of the companies are losing money. (laughs) Forty percent of companies are not profitable yet the stock markets at all time highs. So that's where the disconnect is. And that's sort of the point I was trying to make on that episode, QE or not QE. Does that make sense to everybody? If not, if you still have questions, maybe go back and listen to the QE episode or feel free, you you know, you can always hit me up on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. You can tweet at me. But these these are very important concepts and they have a lot of effect on your daily life. Um, A couple of people have been asking me you know, what do you do personally? What do you do to uh, defend against constant, rampant inflation and things like that? Like, how do you protect yourself, right? And I, you know, I have to be very careful uh, the things I talk about because I, I don't want to be it, it construed as me giving you investment advice. Okay, I'm not a, a financial advisor. I'm not licensed to do that. I don't need a bunch of government regulators up my ass. Because I was giving uh, unlicensed uh, advice or whatever, whatever they would come after me for, right? But I can tell you that a- at some point, all of this inflation will start to make its way through the economy, okay? It just hasn't had its true effect. I mean, we do still see prices are increasing. I mean, if you look around at the things you buy, you're seeing increased prices. Uh, I, all the time, anything you buy. They have a burrito index, you know, the, the way that they sort of measure inflation for the everyday Joe Six Pack kind of guy. Everything's more expensive than it was last year, three years ago, four years ago. And, I mean, the Federal Reserve's stated goal is a 2% inflation target, okay? So, what the Federal Reserve is trying to do, intentionally, is destroy 2% of your purchasing power every year. Okay? I, I don't know where they came up with the number of 2%, why that's this magical number, but that's their target. And God forbid they should be below that target and the things that you buy every day should be a little cheaper than they were the day before. But they've been targeting 2% inflation. And, you know, like I said, the CPI is a very poor way of, of measuring the effect of inflation because... You know, it's not just prices, it's, it's value for your money. It's it, maybe prices were supposed to go down. You also see this in grocery stores all the time. I, I was buying a box of Cheez Its the other day, which, by the way, extra toasty Cheez Its. My God, are those things delicious. I had been calling for extra toasty Cheez Its like my entire life. You know, the burnt ones that you get in the regular box were always so much better than the regular ones. And I finally found out that they've been making this for a while now. It's the number one requested flavor. I thought I was like this genius. I was like, hey, they should make a whole box of just these burnt ones, you know. But it exists, everybody. They exist, and they are delicious. But I was at the store, and you know, when I was a kid, these boxes used to be pretty substantial boxes. And I saw this one, and it was like barely bigger than the size of my hand. And it was like $5 for the box. So a lot of times the packaging gets a lot smaller, the price can stay the same, but you're getting like 25% less. You know, sometimes they, um, you know, with like cookies and stuff, they'll they'll leave a lot of space in the sleeves or bags of chips, you know, they're like 40% fill. You know, they say they put a lot of air in there to keep the chips from uh, breaking up, but they don't need that much air. So a lot of times, you know, they just, instead of changing the price, they just don't give you as much in the package. So it's pretty obvious that... People who sell things know that inflation isn't a good thing. They know that you're sensitive to prices, that you don't like seeing the, the prices of goods and services increase over time. They, they try to trick you by keeping the box the same size, but only putting in 80% as much as they did before, keeping the price the same. I mean, that's a 20% increase in the price they they seem to know that consumers don't like it when prices increase but some some reason this concept is lost on the federal reserve and your government they think that you want prices to increase by 2% every year anyway the the cpi is a a, a horrible way of measuring uh, the the rate of inflation but what the federal reserve is trying to do every year is destroy 2% of your purchasing power now the federal reserve is supposedly mandated with keeping prices stable. That's one of their mandates. Stable prices and and maximum employment as if they could uh, do any of that. But this is another great example of the government taking one of these words that we use every day and I mean I can pretty much go over one of, a new one of these every episode if I really wanted to. But stable, if you want to go ahead and look up a definition of stable, It does not mean increasing by 2% every year, right? Stable means unchanged, like firmly fixed. A stable price would be it's the same price this year as it was last year, as it was the year before. That would be stable, not going up by 2% every year. That's a ridiculous perversion of the definition. But they think as long as it goes up by 2% every year, that means stable now, Uh, Oh, okay that's i mean think about it after after 10 years at 2% every year for 10 years you've lost 20% of your purchasing power that's stable now i mean this this is destroying people who who try to save money and one of the things that they're doing when they keep when they when they make all these bond purchases to keep the interest rates artificially low they're, they're killing people who are trying to save money because you can't get a good interest rate on the money that you save. This is one of the ways that they stimulate people into spending money because they believe in this Keynesian economics, this nonsense that, that stipulates that it, um, spending is what drives economic growth, Consume, consuming things, as if... You know, if we just go around consuming things, we're going to be better off economically. And that's, I mean, they've got the economic cart before the horse. It's completely backwards. You can only consume something that's been produced. You have to first save, invest, and produce things. The spending is the easy part. The consumption is the easy part. Everybody can just consume things. Consuming is the reward that you get. It's the end result of having uh, produced, of having saved. It's not what drives economic growth. What drives it is the production. So they've got it ass-backwards, as usual. But politicians love it. Politicians love Keynesian economics because it gives them excuses to promise free lunches for everything. Every time they're they're in a jam, you just print more money and get, get people to spend. Borrow and spend, baby. They get to promise all these things to the voters and everything like that and, and not face any of the immediate consequences because most likely they'll be out of office before these economic chickens come home to roost. But anyways, so the people who are saving, the people who are, you you know, you used to get 5 10% on your savings account, so it made sense for a lot of people to put money away in their bank accounts and to not spend it right away, to not consume things, to delay that purchase right because you could make interest by essentially letting the bank loan that money out to other businesses who would hire people, create jobs, create create things for the economy. But we're not getting any of that. We're not getting any of that savings. Our savings rates they're a little higher than they were pre-2008, but they're still historically very low, and it's all because the the Fed incentivizing people to spend money and not save it. This whole thing is so destructive, this whole policy. That's why we need to end the Fed. People can't earn anything on their savings account, so they're not going to save that money. They're either going to spend it right away, or they're going to... Uh, put it into the, the stock market or the bond market. People who have no business being in the stock market, who know nothing about investment, who know nothing about economics, are f- essentially forced by the government to play in this Wall Street casino because it's the only place where they can get a return on their money, where they're not losing value every year. Because if inflation's running at at 4%, like it it is if you measure it the way they used to measure it, or even if you say 2%, you're losing money every year by saving it. You're you're losing almost 2% every year just by having that money sit in cash in your bank account. So the only way people can earn money on their savings is to throw it into the casino, to gamble it away in the stock market. So the government has incentivized people to take massive risks with their life savings. And we saw how that turned out in 2008 when the stock market got cut in half. People lost their entire life savings. Uh, their, their, their entire, everything they'd worked for for 40, 50 years just evaporated almost instantly. Uh, and then what happens? Well, the, the, the banks get bailed out. Uh, they, they come up with some more government programs to, to help you in retirement. Uh, let, let people manage their own retirement by, by saving money and giving them a fair interest rate on their savings instead of playing Russian roulette in the stock market. And you'd probably have a lot, of, a lot more people better off, especially since they aren't relying on the federal government for their livelihood. But now... Uh, nobody's earning anything. In fact, you're probably losing money because even if their stated target of 2% is hit, you're not earning 2% on your savings account. You're earning less than that. And I believe me, the rate of inflation is a lot higher than 2%. It's probably twice that if they're being honest in the way they're calculating their CPI, which, is, like I said, isn't a good measure, but they've even changed it since they originally started calculating it, the way they were calculating it, say, in the 70s, was a lot more honest than the way they're calculating it now. In the 90s, under Bill Clinton, they sort of reverse-engineered the calculation for inflation for the CPI so that they could get a lower number. And one of the reasons they did that was because if you have a lower rate of inflation... It makes your economic numbers look higher. Your GDP, for instance. In order to get the real GDP from the nominal GDP number, you have to subtract the rate of inflation. Okay, that's part of the calculation. So they add up all this economic activity, and I can't get into uh, why uh, GDP is such a bad measurement. But they add up all this economic activity, right? And they come up with a number, say 5%, right? we're nowhere near 5%. We just got last year's GDP and and under the tremendous Donald Trump, the uh, unbelievable economic return was 2.1%. Okay, 2.1%. But let's say it was 5%, right? Then that 5% is the nominal number. That's the nominal GDP. So you have to subtract whatever the rate of inflation was from the nominal GDP to get the real GDP. So if if... uh, inflation was at the Fed's 2% target, then you'd have a real GDP of 3%. Now, in the case of Donald Trump and our economy right now, at 2.1%, I, I believe that was our real GDP. So we were maybe at 4.1%, and maybe the Fed hit their target at 2 so you subtract the 2, it gets you to 2.1%. But let's say that if the Fed was calculating it the way they should be calculating it, the way they used to calculate it, and you can go on sites like Shadow Stats, who they they actually calculate it the way the government used to calculate it, which was more honest. Um, a lot of the differences they, they they try to come up with they come up with all these subjective ways of um, writing off price increases. They they'll say, oh yeah, that price went up by by five or six percent, but the quality also went up by like 3%, so that's only a 2% increase in prices. It's called hedonics. So, like, if, you're, if you buy a laptop and it's more expensive than it was the year before, but it's got more gigabytes, they'll write off that increase in price to the extra gigabytes that you're getting or something like that. So, if, if you're being honest with the rate of inflation and you're subtracting that from our nominal GDP growth, well, that changes everything. That, that changes everything. We don't have 2% growth. We have no growth. We have negative growth in some cases. Because if you use the honest CPI calculation of 4%, and you subtract that from our nominal GDP to calculate the real GDP, well, oh, there's almost no economic growth at all, right? 4% minus 4%. That's zero. That's no growth. Uh, oh, okay, so what kind of recovery is this? And in previous months, you know, for the last 10 years, we've had 1% real GDP according to their numbers. We've had GDP numbers that would put us in negative growth territory in, te- in a technical recession more than once. We've been in contraction, we've been in recession this entire time, technically, if you're being honest about the level of inflation, which makes sense to a lot of people. A lot of people who don't feel like they experienced an economic recovery, and even by the the standards, the government standards with their phony numbers, this is the weakest economic recovery in the history of recoveries. If you're calculating the inflation honestly, this hasn't been a, a, a recovery at all. We, we've barely had any economic growth. And, and quite possibly we've been in recession almost this entire time. So that, that's one of the many reasons why you will hear libertarians constantly call out for ending the Federal Reserve. It, it is a very destructive entity. It is a corrupt entity. It is in lockstep with the government. And it's a, a monopoly uh, on the issuance of money of 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 our, of our currency. So, yeah, it's anti-free market, it's anti-saver, it's anti-economic growth. Everything they do is a disaster. Okay, so for the remainder of the show, we got I don't know, maybe 10 minutes or so left, 15. Let's see how long I can rant about the Don Lemon <laughs> making fun of Rednecks on national TV because there's been a a clip going around the interwebs and you know, Don Lemon, he is kind of a buffoon. And I, I mean, as far as talking heads go in the uh, corporate press, he is right at the top of the list of of knuckleheads. And he's, he's got a couple guys on a, on his panel. This was a few days ago and they're, they're just sort of ripping on Donald Trump and Trump supporters. And so I thought I'd play that clip for you guys. And, then. Give you my thoughts on it and, and the show on a little lighter note, making fun of Don Lemon instead of uh, ranting about the Federal Reserve. So, why don't we go ahead and roll it? Obviously, it's false. And look, he also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an an administration defined by ignorance of the world, and so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience. Uh, you know, the 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 credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump, um, that, that wants to think that 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 Donald Trump's a smart one, and they're all oh, y'all y'all elitists or dumb. <laughs> you you us with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my math pa- and in, your reading. Yeah, you're reading. You know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte, all those lines on the map. <laughs> Only the Melitas know where Ukraine is. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. Is but by, you, but by not Ukraine.
1: Oh my God! <laughs> but, but you know what?
0: But, but, but it was Rick's fault. I blame Rick. Oh but you know, but, but right in now. all honesty, but all, you, blame blame you know what NPR Rick. should Why do? Why not? Sorry, hold on. You, wait, wait. Can yeah, I tell give you me what, a second. You know, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> that was good. Sorry. Rick, you, you, that was a good one. I needed that. Okay, yeah. oh, okay. so that's Don Lemon and, and two guys, two, you know, liberal guys on his panel. I, I don't see how anybody can watch this show. He's just unbearable. He's unbearable. And you can hear him like that wasn't even that funny. Uh, Listen, I'm all for making I enjoy making fun of rednecks as much as the next guy. Uh, and, And, you know, Donald Trump, there's plenty of things you can rip on him for that just wasn't funny. And you can hear him just cracking up. He's uncontrollably laughing. And he's snorting, he's laughing. If you could see the video, I, one of these days, maybe I'll figure out how to do video. He, he's, he's dropping his head down laughing. He's like almost falling out of the shot. And it's just like, man, that was not that funny. It wasn't clever. It wasn't funny. It's like, yeah, okay, they're, they're making fun of rednecks. They're stupid. They're backward, inbred. And they got their, their redneck accent down. But it really just goes to show you how out of touch these liberal coastal elites are, so out of touch with the flyover country folk. It's unbelievable to me. After all this time, I mean, after three years of Donald Trump, they might as well have just been filming a campaign ad for him at this point. I mean, this is what we call in the athletic world as bulletin board material. That's when you insult your competition you talk down to them you doubt their capabilities and they they take all those criticisms you know the, those that are being criticized they're usually the underdog in an in a sporting event right and they use it as fuel to sort of light a fire under the team get everyone pumped up angry ready to kick your ass right that's bulletin board material these people i mean that's what they're doing they are rallying trump's base right before the election, what are they thinking? They're already going to have a tough enough time trying to get him uh, dethroned. And they still have no idea why Donald Trump got elected. They can't relate to these people at all. It, it's incredible to me. They still blame their epic loss. The, one of the biggest losses in the history of American politics. It's got to be. Hillary Clinton losing to Donald Trump, that was supposed to be a layup on an eight-foot hoop. And they botched it. They booted it. Okay? They still blame that epic loss on some bullshit Russia conspiracy and consider every Trump supporter to just be some trailer park trash, inbred retard. It's just such a juvenile way of looking at things, you know? That's what kids do. When you lose, you don't do, like when you're a kid and you lose, you don't do any self-reflection, any introspection, nothing like that. You just start coming up with excuses for why you lost. You don't say, well, maybe I, I could have done this better or I should have done this instead of that. No, no, you, oh, that's unfair. Oh, you cheated. Oh, this, a Russia conspiracy. Uh, that's juvenile, all right? And I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure that Donald Trump has the inbred, trailer park, trash, retard vote, lockdown. No doubt about it, he's got their vote. But that's not what got Trump elected, okay? That's not what got Donald Trump in office. There aren't enough inbred retards in the United States to to elect Donald Trump. It was much more about giving people like Don Lemon and these two guys that are up on that panel with him the middle finger than just about anything else. It was a big... F you to the establishment. That's what Donald Trump was. And he went into like very poor areas, rural areas. Uh, he went into manufacturing towns that had been voting Democrat so long that Hillary Clinton didn't even bother to go there. Didn't care. It Didn't think it was worth her time because the Democrats had those votes locked down for decades. They, they didn't even have to worry about it. That was a shoe in supposedly. That was, uh, you know, another layup on an eight-foot hoop. Again, they dropped the ball. And he went into those towns that have been the hardest hit by the 2008 recession. And areas that never really felt any positives from this so-called recovery, they never really took part in, if it existed at all. Because there was no recovery for them. That's why you would always hear this term jobless recovery being thrown around in the corporate press. I mean, that right there says it all. You don't have a, re- a jobless recovery. There's no such thing as a jobless recovery, okay? It's an oxymoron. If there's no jobs being created, you don't have a recovery. You can't go from 10% unemployment, not create any jobs, and, and have some sort of recovery. But they were creating all these part-time jobs, these part-time service sector jobs, low-wage we were losing manufacturing jobs left and right. These very productive jobs that had very high wages. Those were all going by the wayside. And what we were replacing one good manufacturing job with was two or three part-time service sector jobs in healthcare, care, um, government jobs, uh, restaurant industry, things like that, right? And like I went over in the QE episode and in the beginning of this episode a little bit, The the so-called recovery was only in the financial sector, okay? And it was thanks to the Fed and their quantitative easing program. That was their stated goal, was to blow air back into the stock market and the bond market to create a wealth effect and have people feel richer. Why? Because if they feel richer, they spend money. They borrow and they spend. So if you have a stock portfolio and on paper you have all these profits or on paper the value of your house is going up by 10% a year, that makes you feel like you've got all this equity and you can take out a second home, uh, 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 a second mortgage on your house and you could borrow and spend and redo your kitchen and, and this stimulates the economy, right? And I already talked about how that's completely backwards. You don't grow an economy by borrowing and spending and consuming things. You, it's just the opposite. It's savings and investment and production. That's what grows it. And none of these people in these, in these manufacturing towns that Donald Trump o- overwhelmingly stole votes from the Democratic Party, none of those people have. And like, guess who doesn't participate? Guess who isn't a big player in the Wall Street casino? Yeah, it's the guys working in manufacturing. It's the blue-collar workers. Down-home country folk living paycheck to paycheck, punching a clock. Punching a clock at a factory or working on a farm. They don't have any investments. They aren't partaking in any of this phony recovery at all. They're not feeling that wealth effect from the stock market. So Trump went into those towns and he said, Listen, we're going to win again. We've been losing for eight years. You've been losing your jobs to cheap labor overseas and and cheap immigrant labor here. And I don't don't believe these economic numbers. It's a big, fat, ugly bubble. So vote for me. I'll bring your jobs back. We'll start winning again. I'm going to stick it. All these people that are stealing your jobs, I'm going to stick it to them. I'm going to fight for you. We're going to stick it to China. We're going to stick it to Mexico. We're going to keep out all that cheap labor. We're going to build a wall, and Mexico is going to pay for it. I'm going to fight for your jobs. I'm going to fight for your livelihood. He spoke to a portion of the country that has felt more and more marginalized as the years go by and assured them that he is going to battle on their behalf. That's what got Donald Trump elected, okay? That and the fact that Hillary Clinton was the worst candidate to ever run for president of the United States. I mean, that, that's just a fact. She's a horrible candidate. But you can't discount that message that, that Trump was going around. Everyone just wants to blame it on racism in Russia. Uh, that's, that's ridiculous, okay? He was being a fighter for people that needed somebody to fight for them. And you still, four years later, have people like Don Lemon that are clueless Doing the same things that pissed all these people off in the first place. I mean, they are literally behaving like a caricature of how liberal elites are portrayed in rural parts of America. They're a bunch of highfalutin snobs looking down their noses at the backbone of America, right? Look at these dumb rednecks, can't even find Ukraine on a map, stupid, racist Trump supporters... Look, if they can't find Ukraine on a map, whose fault is that? Okay, last I checked, your beloved government is in charge of the vast majority of the schools in this country, certainly the ones that rednecks attend, right? Them rednecks, they aren't going to some fancy private school. No, no. So you can thank your Department of Education for their lack of education, for the fact that they can't find Ukraine on a map. That's the government's fault the department that does nothing but churn out illiterate zombies. And maybe they don't have time to worry about finding Ukraine on a map because they're too busy working, doing manual labor, trying to make their mortgage payments. Maybe they don't have time to concern themselves with a country on the other side of the planet that has no bearing on their lives. I mean, most people don't. Most Americans don't have the luxury of getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to sit around on TV, yucking it up with a bunch of your buddies. And doesn't the mere fact that, and I'll venture to guess that the vast majority of Americans, not just dumb rednecks, but the vast majority of Americans can't find Ukraine on a map. Doesn't that fact just pretty much prove that this is something the country should not be concerning themselves with? That these politicians who always claim that it's in our interest, all this foreign aid and foreign intervention, it's always in our interest, right? That's all. This is in our interest, our best interest. When in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. There's no such thing as our interest, okay? We have to shift our thinking. You have to stop thinking of the state as us, okay? That we are somehow the state. We are not the state. We are individuals. The state is the state. It's a separate entity that rules over us. Their interests and the interests of the American people are almost never aligned. Okay? So when you hear a politician talk about national interests, know that they mean people in government, bureaucratic interests, people that work for the state, I'm sure there are a ton of politicians who stand to make a lot of money and, a, and get a, a major increase in power by giving aid to Ukraine and by doing all these overseas interventions in various countries. I'm sure they've got lobbyists like Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and just dying to throw money at them for asserting their influence halfway around the world. But what does that have to do with some redneck down in Mississippi? How is that in his interest? Other than the fact that it's likely going to be their sons and daughters who sign up to fight and get shipped off to the next bullshit war in some part of the world that they can't find on the map. None of this is in any of their interests or yours. And what really grinds my gears is that nobody seems to be talking about the root. ...of the problem, or the only real issue at hand, as far as I'm concerned, the real outrage here. What's been going on for the last two weeks or so? Uh, The Senate is holding the impeachment hearings, and there's all sorts of hoopla in the media about witnesses testifying, and Adam Schiff is out there just making stuff up, Republicans and Democrats are duking it out over... A pointless process. Everyone knows that Donald Trump will not be removed from office. This is all just political theater. Some people have even argued there's a conspiracy to keep this going so that it keeps Bernie Sanders off the campaign trail. Since he's now surging in the polls and he may win Iowa and New Hampshire, they want him locked up in the Senate having to deal with this pointless uh, procedural nonsense for impeachment. But lost in all of this, all of this outrage over the president's phone call with Ukraine, Democrats feigning outrage over unconstitutional behavior, proclaiming that they have a duty to uphold and defend the Constitution, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, lost in all of this is how about the fact that foreign aid, in and of itself, is unconstitutional? That there's nothing in the Constitution that authorizes the federal government to tax its people? Take that money and give it to politicians in other countries to what? To buy weapons or missile defense systems or to curry favor or anything like that. There's no constitutional authority to do that. That's the real problem here. It's the foreign aid. Why do we have it? And why doesn't this ever come up? I mean, the idea that they are impeaching Donald Trump for allegedly trying to use the aid as leverage... Is laughable, even if he did it. Like that, that's why the aid is there. That's why it's given so that if countries we are giving the aid to don't do what the empire wants, we can threaten to take the aid away. That's the only reason we do it. It's not because our government are these good Samaritans or anything like that. They care about the Ukrainians. Nonsense. Not giving countries foreign aid isn't unconstitutional, okay? Giving it to them in the first place is what's unconstitutional. This is all just nonsense, and none of it ever comes up. They, they just they come up with some ridiculous narrative, and they just duke it out over, this, over nothing. Over nothing. And they get us all riled up and at each other's throats. Over, over what? A phone call. I mean, come on, man. Meanwhile, they are robbing from us they are stealing our money and using it to curry favor overseas hundreds of billions of dollars every year. And it's all unconstitutional, and there's nothing that ne- never comes up. Not a peep. Nobody's interested in it. Okay. But those, uh, yeah, they, those rednecks, they can't find uh, Ukraine on a map. Look at these stupid Trump supporters. Uh, it's just unbelievable. But, I mean, man, this Donnie boy really get a kick out of this, and it's just not that funny. The double standard in the media is just really on full display here, and it kind of drives me crazy because you've got a black guy, an Indian, and this liberal white guy just completely ripping on poor white people, okay, and if you had a white guy if he, I always like to flip this the script, you know, flip the situation. You got a white guy making fun of poor black people on his show for being stupid or if he's making fun of Indian people and he's, you know, he's doing the like the Apu accent. I mean, these miserable, humorless lefties got Apu's character written off of The Simpsons for fuck's sake. I mean, this is ridiculous, but it's okay to joke about rednecks. It's always okay to joke about poor white people for some reason. Uh, nobody minds if you make fun of white people, especially the poor white people. They're fair game, and, and you know I, that's fine with me. I, I don't mind making fun of poor white people. Like I said, rednecks are hilarious. It's it's fun to do hillbilly accents, have some fun at their expense. But if you are going to do that, you you can't get your panties all in a bunch when people of your ilk get made fun of when your kind is on the chopping block. You have to be an equal opportunity joker, okay? Then I don't have a problem. You don't get to rip on some people and then claim that you and your kind are off-limits and then ruin people's lives. Like, absolutely ruin their lives, ruin their careers for making a joke at your expense if, you know, you happen to be a different skin color in, in, in the minority skin color status or whatever. I can't stand these types of people because if you switch the skin colors around and you put this on Fox News, there would be people that got fired for, over something like this. They would probably lose their jobs. There would be droves of social justice warriors and all these uh, snowflake lefties out there that would be calling for their head. I just don't, uh, the, the double standard really grinds my gears. That's the first thing. The other issue that kind of comes to mind are all these people that try to regulate comedy, try to try to determine for society who and what can be made fun of. I mean, I didn't find this segment particularly funny. I, I think you could do a much better job of making fun of rednecks and making fun of Donald Trump than these guys did. But I'm, sh- I'm sure somebody found it funny other than Don Lemon. Like, you can criticize the, the lack of humor or the jokes themselves, but you can't just get a, be like, oh, I'm offended, and you can't, you can't joke about that or you can't make fun of those people. As far as I'm concerned, when it comes to comedy, nothing should be off limits. You should be able to make fun of everybody and everything as long as there's funny in it. I mean, it's a joke. And who are you to judge somebody else's sense of humor? What's funny to me might not be funny to you. Okay, but that doesn't mean you need to get offended by it. I shouldn't have to apologize for my sense of humor. Nobody should have to apologize for their sense of humor. These are jokes. Somebody was trying to make people laugh. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Okay, you didn't find it funny. So what? Just move on with your life. Go do something. Get on with it, okay? Stop harping on this stuff. It's unhealthy. This, this has really gotten out of control in the comedy scene where comedians now are, are being told what jokes are off limits, what people you can make fun of, what people you can't make fun of. It's infuriating. And it's coming from other comedians. You have other comedians telling people like what kind of jokes they could tell. Regulating other comedians. It's really quite something. But these are just jokes. Laugh a little bit. Lighten up. The society today, everybody's so thin-skinned and, and just so quick to be offended. Well, where does that come from? What is that impulse? I, I don't think I've ever been offended in my entire life. I think I'm impossible to offend. I mean, you could upset me by, by like, uh, you, could, you could get me angry by, by, I don't know, promoting socialism or something, but I'm not getting offended by it. Offense is such, like, a a sissy response that they... Oh, oh I'm offended. You hurt my feelings. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, that That's not for me. I don't, I don't understand that impulse. And there were people calling for Don Lemon to apologize. And I think he did. Look, he doesn't have to apologize for this. Who cares? Who watches this stupid show anyways? Like I said, use it as bulletin board material. Hey, have him keep it up if you want Trump to get reelected, Keep doing stuff like this. Don't start taking pages from the, the snowflake social justice warrior playbook and become what you hate in this whiny little bitch attitude where you hurt my feelings, you made fun of the wrong person, you offended me. Don't become that guy. Don't be that guy. You shouldn't have to apologize for his show being unwatchable and not funny. And and trying to I don't know make fun of people and kind of failing miserably cracking yourself up in the process looking like an idiot. Uh, what does he have to apologize for? Who care? Like let him make fun of him. I don't care. Uh, the rednecks shouldn't care either. The the only thing that should bother people is the double standard that rednecks are are fair game and, and minorities aren't. That that's the only thing that should get people upset. But to have to apologize for that is ridiculous. Enough with the apologies. Can we just stop it with the apologies? And nobody ever means these apologies. If you really wanted to apologize, you would just do it. If you really thought it warranted an apology, you would do it of your own volition. But succumbing to social pressure and being forced to apologize, give these half-assed apologies that nobody means, everybody knows you don't mean it. What is this thing? And why are we apologizing to everybody all the time? There's no satiating these people that complain. People that complain about other people being made fun of. People that complain about jokes and about comedy. They are just the most miserable people on the face of the earth. Your apology is only going to embolden them to try to demand more apologies from other people. Just stop it. Just stop it already, okay? This is their only sense of uh, power that they have, because they, they have meaningless, miserable lives, so the only way that they can exert themselves over other people is by bitching and moaning and getting a mob together and a demanding an apology. Uh, just stop apologizing. What are they going to do? Write you a letter? Have them write a letter. Write me a letter right now for this podcast. Go ahead. It's funny to me. Go, write, write me all the letters you want. I'll, I'll read them on the podcast and make fun of you some more. But anyway, Don Lemon's taken a lot of heat for this segment. He he, he was forced to apologize. And I mean, man, if if you're going to essentially offend half the the country, as as they say, and rile up Trump's base and possibly help him get reelected, and you're going to have to bend a knee and apologize and humiliate yourself, at least have it be funnier than what was going on on your show. At least make it worth it. Like really take some shots, really, really get some swings in there. But that, that segment? I, I, I didn't find any of that funny. And I mean, I, I like a good joke as much as the next guy, but man, that was... ugh, that was rough. Anyway, that's all I got for today. I'm, I'm gonna wrap there. Guys, if you liked the show today, do me a favor. Share it with two people that you think might enjoy it. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. You can tweet at me too if you got any questions, you want to talk more about inflation, quantitative easing, any of that stuff. But mainly follow me on Twitter for the memes. I got great memes. Probably the best meme folder on the planet. Yours truly. So follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. You can donate to the show at PedalingFictionPodcast.com. And if you can do all that, I will be back to do this all over again with you. And until then, just remember, keep on peddling that so-called fiction.